The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose. And he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Following is a presentation of the United Wrestling Network. Hello and welcome. I'm David Marquez. On this program, we're going to take you behind the scenes of the United Wrestling Network. A lot of you know who we are. A lot of you are discovering us for the first time. Each week, we're going to introduce not only new segments. We want to hear from you, the public. So let us know what you think. Tell us if we're doing good. Tell us if we're doing bad. Tell us what you'd like to see. We're going to dig into the archives. We're going to spotlight people. All and everything in and around the United Wrestling Network. Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Championship Wrestling from Arizona. And who knows what's going to come next. So I'm happy you've chosen to hang out with us and check this out. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another feature episode here at the two-man power trip of wrestling a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire i am your host jp john pause and on today's episode we welcome in united wrestling network's own todd kennelly to the show we will not only be talking about united wrestling network all the shows that they have available including championship wrestling from hollywood championship wrestling from arizona the work rate show the push heritage hall and of course david marquez will be coming out with his own show as well a little bit of an interview series aside of that they will have some regional programming as well so i encourage everybody 
along all platforms to please follow United Wrestling Network and support them and watch out for some really great wrestling. I am really looking forward to Heritage Hall because they're going to go through some classic footage and some legendary stuff that they have in their archives, their film library, their video library. It is some great, great stuff and some maybe hidden gems, including Brian Danielson, a.k.a. Daniel Bryan, versus Sean Waltman, a.k.a. Six, a.k.a. X-Pac, a.k.a. the one, two, three kid, whatever you want to call him. But it's Brian Danielson against Sean Waltman, and that is just the tip of the iceberg. As they got a lot of great stuff in the vault and a lot of great stuff coming out as well. In this interview with Todd, not only will we talk about Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, and UWN, we will also talk about UPW, a little bit of Rick Bassman talk, a little bit of TNA slash Impact Wrestling talk. We will also be talking about his time as a druid for The Undertaker in the World Wrestling Entertainment, which is just so cool and such an interesting story and something that I didn't see coming. You know, you do research, you you try to find out everything you can on these guys, and obviously did a lot of research on Todd before the interview. Didn't see that anywhere, didn't know that anywhere, had no clue. So sometimes in the uh, general flow of the conversation and just through uh, doing the interview, you get some great tidbits and really some awesome stories. And the fact that he was a Druid at WrestleMania 21 for the Randy Orton versus Undertaker match, so cool. And then a Druid a second time, a part of the Mark Henry Undertaker storyline and feud a year later so i mean that is some awesome stories we also talk about his WWE tryout or should i say tryouts so i mean there's really really so much to do and so much to talk about on this episode i absolutely love it and i love when we can get these feature episodes out there to you the listening viewer as far as the tmpt empire i encourage everybody to really follow all of our, all of our shows and everything that we're doing, and of course, by I'm saying all of our shows, Doctor Tom, Doctor Tom Pritchard, taking you to school, which is available on the TMPT feed. Also, Rick Bassman's Talking Tough, which is available on Podcast One. He also does the Three Way Dance, which is also available on Podcast One as well. Dirty Dutch Mantel's University of Dutch podcast, which is over on the MLW Radio Network. And last but not least, the franchise, Shane Douglas, his Triple Threat podcast, which is available on Russo's The Brand. So much great stuff. So much great things happening with TMPT and the TMPT Empire. I think you're really, really going to enjoy this episode with Todd Kennelly as we talk everything United Wrestling Network. right now is a former impact wrestling announcer you may have heard him 
in championship wrestling from Hollywood and many other places as well. Of course, right now he's part of the United Wrestling Network as a commentator and a writer. He is none other than Todd Kennelly. Todd, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Awesome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Now, obviously, you know, you've got so much going on, and you're an announcer for Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. You're doing a little, probably a little bit of Championship Wrestling from Arizona, a little United Wrestling Network. What have you kind of been up to, and what's kind of your main focus? Yeah, it just, you know, in this day and age, it's been trying to stay busy and uh, and gear up for when we can get back to, you know, what we really love doing, and that's, that's uh, live events and television, um, you know. But in terms of United Wrestling, network we haven't been uh sitting idly by we've really been trying to ramp up our uh our you know brand awareness social media presence as of late which has kind of been uneven over the years you know we've been so busy mm-hmm. trying to make tv that that's one aspect that really didn't get the attention that maybe it deserved and uh so just being part of that because you know i am a bit of a historian when it comes to that i've been with championship wrestling from hollywood since it's you know earliest inception and of course did you know take off for a while there for impact and some other projects but for the vast majority of the history i've been around to see some of the great talent that's come through there some talent that um you know has has stayed close to home some talent that has gone on to uh to stardom and so one of the things is really taking advantage of that you know 10-year video library and you know we've got some really it's been collecting dust for a while, but there's really some spectacular stuff. Uh, one of the things we were doing is uh, is a segment called Heritage Hall where we kind of look at some of the alumni that have come through there. And so the first uh, segment of that, which is on, you know, United Social Media and on our YouTube, the first match they picked for that was uh, Daniel Bryan, Bryan, American Dragon Bryan Danielson at the time, of course, against Sean Waltman, you know, X-Pac in Australia. Dave Marquez, who's the United president and, of course, is on-air talent for NWA, is, is on the call of that match, and it's uh, from 2007. And, you know, since we released that, Xbox came out on social media and said at the time he had a freshly torn ACL and still went through with the match, which is really remarkable because it is a good match. Even more impressive if he had that kind of injury, said he was walking around at, on crutches at the time and got out there and gutted it out. So that's one of the things is – you know, taking advantage of that real rich tape library and matches that a lot of people uh, never would have known about. That is awesome. And like you said, Heritage Hall is going to be doing a lot of that stuff, and you can't kind of pick a better way to start it off with uh, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, one of the all-time greats, arguably the greatest technician of all time. So, I mean, that's awesome. And I've seen Waltman before literally um, at a show where he was hobbled and then he gets in the ring and has an unbelievable match. So he's just somehow able to uh, turn the switch, right, and just be able to have good matches even though he's hurt. He is. You know, it's pretty amazing. I remember Waltman was in one of our – we have an annual event, Red Carpet Rumble, you know, very similar to the Royal Rumbles, 30 competitors, starts with two, the whole thing, over-the-top rope, eliminations, and then when it gets down to the final two, it's it's Tim Fowler's submission. And I remember – it was 2015, and X-Pod, you know, we had a couple, we'd always have a couple surprise entrants, and, and uh, Waltman was one. And I remember he, I think, got banged up during the match. I think Tor uh, might have pulled his, you know, his hamstring something, but or groin, but, you know, had to, like, get through it. And still, you know, it ended up being one of the final four in the match and really just 
push through. And I think maybe that too is kind of that, that old school, you know, mentality of, mm-hmm. you know, you got to push through the pain, you got to perform, <laughs> you know, the, you, you got to perform if you want to get paid type of thing. And, and, and uh, kind of that mentality of the past. And yeah, you know, it's interesting that you said that you saw something similar on a show that you did because, you know, I've seen you do that a couple of times and, and uh, you know, to a casual viewer, you might not even realize, um, like you said, he could flip that switch and go from barely being able to walk in the back to throwing, you know, you know, his signature uh, spin heel kick. So it's just, you know, toughness, I guess. Yeah. And it's that, you're right. That old school mentality that you're wrestling, no matter what you, you can be hurt or, or whatever's going on, you're going to have to be wrestling. So what else kind of is going on with United Wrestling Network? As you said, really pumping up the, the social media presence. I mean, I saw a lot of stuff from you guys kind of flooding the market, uh, which is great and great to see you guys out there because you do have a significant a library. So what else you guys got going on? Well, it's just, again, it's just trying to bring awareness to the product. You know, I, I remember not that long ago uh, I was talking to David Marquez and he, he kind of, and this kind of was what gave birth to this. He, he, he kind of made a mention of, um, since the, you know, relaunch of the NWA and power, you know, everybody was so caught up in the nostalgia. And I think there is definitely a certain magic and memory that goes with those three, three letters. But he also said, you know, everybody's like, Oh, studio wrestling's back. And Dave has been doing studio wrestling (laughs) for as long as, as anybody can remember. So, you know, champ, the earliest, championship wrestling from Hollywood over 10 years ago now. And if you look at those original tapes, it was at Columbia CBS, Columbia Spur studios. And it's, it's interesting to see kind of the whole pathway because David Lagana was involved in those early uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood tapings on production and in creative. It had the podium, you know, for interviews, it, it had a very similar look and feel to power and, and to championship wrestling from Hollywood, which has had that studio wrestling um, mentality too over the years and just that whole recipe. But Dave, I think a little bit had, you know, obviously Dave's very much involved in, in, in the NWA product and is on power as on air talent and a consultant. But I think he had a little chip on his shoulder that there was a perception that it was the NWA that, you know, just out of nowhere brought this, this uh, studio style of wrestling back because David been doing it for so many years. So I think, and almost, you know, kind of quietly, the United wrestling network programming is on over 130 television outlets across the U S. So it equates to like 75% domestic coverage. Plus, you know, we're on fight TV, um, fight network up in Canada and other international things. So we have really good, um, viewership and coverage, but no one ever really talks about us. So I think that was kind of the mission of this is just a, a reminder of, Hey, we've been around a long time. We put the work in, we've got, uh, you know, this, this incredible film library. We've had some incredible talent that has come through here over the years and we've got a really talented current roster. So give us a look, you know, and I think that's really been, been kind of the goal is to just kind of wake people up to our product. Absolutely. And you guys have some other shows. I mean, I saw Heritage Hall, which is really cool. But then you got The Push and Workrate. But what's what's The Push all about? So The Push is, is where Heritage Hall kind of looks at, you know, names that have come through there or maybe started their career and have gone on. 
the push is really about our current roster. So the first episode that came out, again, um, you know, your listeners can, can see it on United social media. It's on our YouTube uh, page as well. First one was on Danny Limelight Rivera, uh, great, you know, high flyer competitor. And just the, there are short pieces that will show, uh, introduce, you know, this talent. To, they're in ringside and they're out of the ringside. And in Danny's case, you know, he's a, he's a proud uh, U.S. Marine. He's, uh, he's gone into stunt work in Hollywood. He's a proud father. He's very proud of his Puerto Rican heritage and wanting to, you know, kind of make a statement as, as a proud Puerto Rican and, and, and really uh, emphasize that in his, in his character. Um, and so it's, you know, just that documentary style look at, at the current United uh, roster. And I think that that first piece was really interesting. And there's some, some more great ones coming up. I know so far they've already filmed um, Ray Rosas and his is very interesting because here's a guy that's been at Hollywood since the beginning. He's seen a lot of his peers go on, you know, he was a longtime tag team partner of Peter Avalon, who of course now assigned with AEW as the librarian. So you kind of get that perspective of, you know, a little bit of frustration in Ray and man, you know, I'm, I'm on the level with these guys. I team with some of them. I face them. I'm one of the guys that management always can trust to put on a great match and, you know, and, and help get people over. And then I'm seeing, you know, my peers and partners and such moving on. And, and meanwhile, not, not that, you know, United isn't a great place to be, but, you know, you can just, you can sense, and he's, he's overcome injuries. He's a, he's a father to young children himself. Um, and so there's that kind of doubt in Ray and one that'll air coming up on when is it time to, to hang it up. Now he originally had said he was going to retire from in ring this year, but of course this year has been bizarre land. And so it's kind of gotten pushed. And at the same time, he currently holds our PP three cup, uh, Percy Pringle, the third cup. It's a tournament we have every year kind of like money in the bank where you can cash it in for any of the United titles at any time. So he holds that. So he's obviously, he's definitely a key player in our programming right now. So it's interesting to hear him kind of sitting on the fence on how long do I, you know, keep doing this. That and uh, Heather Monroe as well was interviewed. She's great uh, female talent and, uh, and more to come. Like the sound of that feel like championship wrestling from Hollywood always had those kind of up and coming guys. You would always kind of hear about, and then eventually they pop up, you know, impact. And like you said, now obviously AEW and all these other places, um, but you would always kind of see them in championship wrestling from Hollywood first. Right? I mean, it seems like kind of a breeding ground for a lot of uh, young stars to become even bigger. Well, it really is. I mean, I look at, you know, Scorpio sky um, had great moments on championship wrestling from Hollywood and wrestled in you know, our Arizona promotion as well. Willie Mack, you know, the first major mm-hmm. singles title that he held was our television uh, title. And now is, you know, and then through United got the shot, got a shot with the NWA became uh, the North American champion, won that at AD- NWA 70 and then went on to, to impact and is the current X division champion. And, you know, I think a lot of these guys really got great experience in kind of learning how to uh, perform from in-ring to promos to knowing how to work a TV match, uh, all within United, and have gone on to great things. In fact, Willie Mack and Scorpio Sky had one of the better rivalries 
in the history of championship wrestling from Hollywood for our TV title. So guys like that, you know, that have moved on, Timothy Thatcher, Drew Gulak, also uh, were a tag team um, in United, you know, and if you like, you could sit down it, you know, it would, there's tons of, tons of great talent that have come through, not only in ring, but production and, and uh, broadcasters and everything else that have come through there and have kind of gotten their education and then applied it elsewhere. I mean, and, you know, case in point for me, I spent a lot of time uh, in Hollywood and then, you know, got, got the break with impact and other things that I've done. And I definitely benefited from the time in United. Now also with you, you said, you know, you've done, Impact, obviously, with, with United Wrestling. You've done some stuff, championship wrestling from Hollywood, Arizona. But also, you know, uh, I think a lot of people will probably memory, remember you from Hulk Hogan Celebrity Wrestling, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, man. That was that was such a fun project to work on. And uh, I, I still, you know, they, I guess there was some negotiations about a second season and money wasn't right or something, and it, it fell through. But, man, it was so much fun. And the celebs really did work hard and I'm really was impressed with, you know, guys like Danny Bonaducci and, and Danny Bonaducci and Dustin Diamond had like a false count anywhere match that I, I could be on, you know, wrestling TV and, and, and entertain the crowd. You know, Todd Bridges was really athletic I and mean, he was doing sunset flips off the top. I was really impressed with, you know, what the celebs were able to do. And for me, you know, as a lifelong Hulkamaniac growing up, just, being on the set every day with, with Hogan and Jimmy Hart and Brutus Beefcake and Brian Nobbs and, and Eric Bischoff was, you know, just so much fun. It was like, you know, <laughs> going to like kid going to fantasy camp or something, man. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was an adventure. It was a, it was a blast, you know, and I got to do the, um, the ring announcing on that and kind of work behind the scenes and, and stuff. And it was, it was great. And that, you know, doing that, is really what got me other opportunities. And I got to go um, do commentary on the Hogan's tour in Australia in, uh, I think, gosh, I think it was 2009. And that was, you know, Hulk and Ric Flair. This was after WrestleMania 24. So Ric was, you know, quote unquote retired, but worked his series of matches with Hulk in Australia. And, uh, you know, so sitting there, I did backstage stand-ups with with you know Hogan and Flair and just the little kid in me trying not to crack you know and mm-hmm. Hulk sitting there 24 inch pythons brother and this is where the power lies and you know Flair styling and profiling and you know me in like a mean gene role it was like it was it was surreal and then to go out and call you know Hogan Flair match with with Eric Bischoff on color was uh, pretty awesome and it was my work on that I did a lot on that too in terms of um show formats and creative production liaison. And so it was that, I think that really kind of uh, turned the heads of Hulk and, and Eric. And then, you know, they pushed for me to, to have the, the shot in impact. Which is awesome to be kind of in that dream job, so to speak with, with the Hulkster and doing that tour and being part of that. And obviously players quote unquote retire at that point and him to kind of come out of retirement to do that tour is really really cool as well and to be a part of that is, is i mean that's got to be a a life-changing experience just from being a fan perspective not only the fact that it got you somewhere else and kind of, kind of got you up the ladder but just even as a fan that's awesome yeah it was crazy it was crazy and you know there were uh, some great talent on that tour and i 
you know, one of the things too is I got I had the opportunity to call uh, Umaga Eki Fatu's final match. He worked um, uh, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Kennedy, uh, and they had they stole the show. They had such a phenomenal match. And that, you know, and I really hope that that someday really gets kind of wide release. That whole thing, I, I hope it either ends up, you know, on WWE Network or somewhere because, uh, you know, seeing Hulk and Rick again in front of, you know, 10,000 people was great. But also it being Umaga's final match and what a match it was. It was really a, just a phenomenal match. And, uh, you know, because he passed away shortly after mm-hmm. that tour. And I really, really hope that, that's something that you know the the general audience gets to see at some point because it really that footage never really made it out there in wide release. I think it got tied up for some reason, and um, so me personally too, that was a heartbreaker. I call a Hogan Flair match. I've never even gotten to watch it back. You know, who owns that footage? Do you know? That's a great question. Poster? That's a great question. I have no idea, um, but I hope they they get to the bottom of it and that those shows get released because it was really shows were really well produced and good production values. And the matches were, 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 uh, were really good. So as far as you knew Japan pro wrestling as well, right? You weren't you a part of the USA token fighting spirit? I, I was. Yes. Well, you've done your research. Yeah, I, yeah. I did do that. And, uh, the broadcast team was, was myself, a gentleman by the name of Scott Pouvert, and CM Punk uh, was was on color for those early episodes, and um, yeah, we had some some great stuff on that as well. You know, Rocky Romero, Samoa, a lot of Samoa Joe on there, um, and uh, those shows were were a lot of fun to call and some great action. And yeah, so did that, and it's called you know, and calling that style I think helped me because then I eventually transitioned into calling some MMA as well. I called uh, the undercard fights for Elite XC when they were on CBS. So we'd be on their website or whatever for the undercard fights, and then we'd tag out to uh, Mauro Ronaldo and Goldberg, uh, who would call the main card. And um, currently I'm, I'm working with a promotion called Lights Out Extreme Fighting, which airs out here in Southern California, airs on the Fox Sports network so it's on fox sports west fox sports prime ticket and um ufc on espn um just had a bunch of guys on the card uh with the, you know that recent show that have, that came through lxf so it was great to see a lot of those guys move up do you Rose like Bill roberts and you know spike carlisle and a bunch of guys that were on that card came through lxf yes do you like calling MMA or wrestling more, or is it one of those things where you just love both? I love both, but I have much more longevity in terms of having a passion for wrestling. I grew up a huge wrestling fan, um, huge, you know, and and I always did associate with commentary for some reason. You know, I loved Gorilla Monsoon as a kid, and um, even Vince, like Vince on commentary at had such energy and I, I thought he was great, you know, cause the little kids staying up late to watch Saturday night's main event, you know, and there's Vince, ah, Jesse, Hogan's really put together. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, oh, this is yep. awesome, you know? And, uh, but I always loved gorilla. And I remember I, you know, I had all the old school, like the LJN WWF figures, you know, in the ring and the whole bit. Oh yeah. And I would sit there and play and put matches together. And I'd be sitting there like, 
calling the matches, you know, as I play. Like, I always just, you know, and I commentary plays such a big role. If you look back, you know, throughout history, you just, you can hear those sound bites. They're synonymous with some of the biggest moments, and it's something I always associated with. So I think, you know, my true passion is calling wrestling, but I also love calling MMA, and I think they benefit, you know, because I think I bring a little bit of the energy and the showmanship and, and stuff to when I'm calling MMA and storytelling, really getting to know the fighters' backgrounds and stuff, and vice versa. I, you know, now I can call the nuts and bolts of, um, you know, mat stri- striking and grappling and everything else, and I, so I can bring that to when I call pro wrestling and call it a, a more true sports style. So I think calling both has definitely helped my overall game. And MMA, the thing I like about it is just the unpredictability, you know? It's funny, you can do all kinds of research, research these fighters, have all kinds of background and notes and such. The fight can be over in 10 seconds, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. so it's just, you know, MMA, you really kind of have to be on the top of your game to be able to react quickly because, you know, fight can end in, a, in, a, in an instant. Where in wrestling, calling wrestling, you kind of just have a natural feel for the ebb and flow and the pacing and how, how it's going to go. Absolutely. How did you actually kind of get into the business? Like, how did you actually get into becoming an announcer to begin with? I went to uh, I went to college at USC. I played football there. I always wanted to get into sports casting um, and, and maybe like voiceover work. And I met uh, Chris Bell, who's a um, filmmaker. He did Bigger, Stronger, Faster, a few other films, and we became friends. And his brothers were um, Mike Bell, who had been a WWF enhancement talent in New York. Uh, Mark Bell, who was an aspiring wrestler who now does all kinds of stuff in terms of powerlifting equipment and podcasts and everything else. And they both were wrestling at Rick Bassman's UPW at the time. So we kind of got to talking over some you know, drinks and I, he realized, Hey man, you really know your stuff when it comes to wrestling. It's just something you're trying to get into. You got to get in with these guys. Well, one uh, night I get a phone call, kind of frantic phone call from Mark Bell. And he's like, Hey, you know, I, the, the play-by-play guy can't can't make it to the show. We're at the Galaxy Theater in Santa Ana. You could just get a suit and get down here. Well, it turns out that show at the UPW at the time was a was a West Coast kind of official, unofficial uh, WWF developmental territory. So mm-hmm. on yep. that show, so first show I had ever called in my life, uh, had was Samoa Joe and Tommy Dreamer. It was Victoria and Molly Holly right before Victoria signed. Uh, it was Edge and Christian against Frankie Kazarian and Nova. This is the first show I ever called. <laughs> so, I mean, it was crazy, the talent the talent that was on it. And so I ended up getting in through that. You know, they liked my work, and I stayed on. So I started with UPW, and from there, it just, you know, kind of snowballed into other opportunities. Rick started his own MMA company back, you know, a few years later, uh, valor fighting. So that's where I first called MMA was for, for that promotion. And then, you know, just it's all in who, you know, and opportunities would come along. That is great. And with Ken UPW being that 
developmental league, basically, like you said, unofficially, officially, yeah, developmental. You probably had some eyes on you from that point on, right, when they kind of uh, first heard you? Yeah, you know, I would think I, I ended up, you know, it certainly gave me great tape to, to send in. I remember one of the matches, I, I think it was our fourth anniversary show, and Cena was at um, WWE at the time and, you know, was doing the like the rap gimmick at that time came back and wrestled Kazarian on our fourth anniversary show. Um, and I called it with Tom Pritchard. So, I mean, you can't ask for a better thing to be able to submit than that, you know? So I did and had some really good conversations with Michael Cole. And then, you know, honestly, I, I got uh, an audition backstage at a SmackDown. They set up a monitor and I called three matches with taps. And I was in my comfort zone calling and it, you know, felt great. Went, went really well. After that, they had me do some like standups with Taz and, uh, and Cole and Taz both seemed really happy. Kevin Dunn came down out of the truck, you know, <laughs> shook my hand, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like on top of the world. And a few weeks later, they fly me out to Stanford. And I think in my ignorance, I'm like, okay, I've already auditioned. Like, I got this, you know, and I get out there and they take me to their TV studios in Stanford and put me like in the studio in front of the you know big studio jib cam comes down the red light. And I just completely froze up. I was shaky. You know, I did these on cams and I just like couldn't get it together. But then went and called some matches with Michael Cole and those went pretty well. Um, and you know, but I just, it was far from my best performance. And years later, you know, I think they flew me back for another, like a live event host position. And then in 2009, right before going out to Australia, they flew me out again and I auditioned, um, I called matches with Joey Styles and uh, John Gabura big was like producing the tryout and craziest thing, man. Same thing for the on cams. I was just super shaky at, at first. And then I settled in and got a few good takes. And then I felt, you know, did really good on the commentary. And so Big talked to me. He's like, he's like, how do you think you did? I'm like, well, you know, I don't, I can't explain being so nervous on these on cams because I do shows all the time. I do live shows. I've been in front of all these big crowds and I never, I never get nervous. I think it's just something about wanting this so bad, you know, and it's everything you've ever dreamed of. It's that dream job. It's WWE and it's right there taking. And then, he, you know, put me at ease a little bit because he's like, well, you know, yeah, but you, you pulled it together. But when it comes to the commentary, um, he was like, what you did was really, he said something like stupendous or phenomenal and just talked about that I was able to energy level would go with the ebb and flow of the match. And, and I was calling every cover and I, you know, had done the things that I learned for years to do. And so he was really impressed with the commentary and, uh, but they still just, they never pulled the trigger. So a SmackDown audition and three, I think three trips out to Stanford and I came out empty handed. So it was, um, you know, the definitely just what the doctor ordered was to go to that Australia tour shortly after being really just having another real letdown and trying to get where, you know, the dream job and getting to work with Hulk and Flair and all these guys and just upping my confidence. And then, you know, it's just, it's funny how things work out. So here's fast forward then to 2012, I get flown out to impact 
and I was doing it under the guise that I was going in for an audition. So I got there. It was, you know, Bruce Pritchard and Eric kind of both pushed for me to have a chance. So I get there, and I'm in a production meeting. And I'm like, hey, everybody, this is Todd Kennelly. He's calling the first hour live with, uh, with JB. I had no idea I was going to be on live TV. I thought I was going to audition, try out. So Jeremy Borash and I had never met, had never worked together. We, he was super nice. Uh, we kind of spent the afternoon. He put some matches on a laptop, and we'd try and get our timing down, our chemistry. And then just went out there and flew without a net and called the first hour impact live. So if there's any time to be nervous, it would have been then. I got thrown on live TV, no shaking, no nerves, did suit, you know, felt great about it. First match I called was um, Van Dam via Zima Ion for the X division title. And then of course, you know, stayed on for the next 10 months or whatever. And it's like, it, that was a huge monkey off the bat. Cause at that point, after the failed attempts to get to WWE, you know, you can't help but kind of start crushing yourself. And um, so then to go out there and be put in that kind of position and not have the nerves and do well, like it was big for me. That is great. And you felt very comfortable in impact wrestling. Like you said, right off the bat, you just knew that, you know, you should be there kind of thing. I did. And it was, you know, and I had it was a it was a good support system because Samoa Joe uh, was there, Kazarian, Daniels, Chavo Guerrero, who I'd worked with, all these guys that I had worked with. I remember first day I got to the impact zone there in Orlando. I'm just kind of walking around, um, and you know <laughs> I'd have guys like Chavo would be like, "Well, it's about time," you know, and I just felt uh, felt at home and you know and called that first hour and then they had me do some of their impact post show for online. And, and then I remember I got a uh, email like the next morning from Bob Ryder saying, Hey, great job. Welcome to the family. Here's your flights for next week. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, okay. I guess that's how it's, how it's going to work. But it was a great time to be there. Cause I mean, the roster, the roster was stacked, you know, they had Kurt Angle and AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Samoa Joe, James Storm. I mean, you, you know, Sting, you name it. It was just, uh, it was a stacked roster. So I, I had an opportunity to call some, some really great matches, you know, called um, five or six pay-per-views. And, you know, one of the last matches I, I got to call on Slammiversary, uh, I called AJ and, and uh, AJ Styles and Kurt Angle and, and Sting and Bully Ray for the title. And, you know, you can't ask for better opportunities than that. That is great. What did you kind of think of not only kind of working there? I mean, the talent, like, like you, the names just rattle off. It was kind of an amazing time for literally like the, the level of talent in CNA was just great at that point. But what was your like capability like with Taz or with Mike today? How did you enjoy working with those guys? Um, you know, it was interesting because I, I think they were a little bit blindsided by me being brought in. Um, you know, working with JB was super easy, and um, and we did that for I think three weeks, and then they had a uh, so after like three weeks of doing that split announced teams, they had a um, pay per view. It was final resolution or something, and uh, and I got there and I'm like, oh, we're you know we're putting you with with Tanae and Taz, and you'll you know do play by play, be lead. And, you know, I think obviously they had developed their 
comfort level in chemistry by then. And I don't, you know, I wouldn't imagine we're, we're super, super happy about it, you know, but mm-hmm. they were pros and we worked together and tried to make it work. But, you know, and, and Taz definitely tested me. Um, and, and, uh, but, you know, I also learned a ton from, from both of them and enjoyed it. And it was a challenge though, because you got these two established guys and you got a guy thrown in the middle and put in that spot. But I think, you know, looking back, I'm definitely proud of my work. And, um, and there was, you know, some, definitely some tough love from Taz, but again, he did teach me a lot and I learned a lot and enjoyed it. And I thought we had really good chemistry. I thought it worked. <laughs> and, you know, and, and some of, some of it may have been, been, uh, you know, pretty real, but it worked and there was give and take. And I think it, it made for an interesting dynamic on, on commentary and, and at times I would try and uh, give as good as I was getting from him, you know, and, um, and then, but it was, it was fun. It was fun, but you know, I think they definitely had maybe had their guard up a little bit at first, but you know, I enjoyed working with them both. And like I said, learned a lot and, you know, wish we could have, could have kept it going. Now you said he tested you. How did he test you? Like little, well, just, uh, little you know, teasing just, and stuff. Yeah, just you know, and and never nothing, you know, nothing off camera. Just you know, he he, he would definitely uh, throw some 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 heat my way on commentary, or if I had a little misstep, he'd be right there to make sure <laughs> you know I knew about it. And uh, and he, you know, it was just Taz being Taz, but turned up a notch, you know, I was such a fan of Taz on color, like, especially on SmackDown with him and Cole, like I always liked that team. So I was really looking forward to, to working with them. And then it's like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta bring my A game or hmm. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, figuratively get my ass kicked here on commentary. But, um, but it, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a challenge, but it it was good. And I think I became, you know, better commentator from it. And I thought that the three of us worked together well and, and they, you know, were supportive. I remember it was a Slammiversary 2013 and, you know, Bruce Pritchard that day had told me that that was going to be my last, you know, assignment with them. And, uh, you know, and Tanae and Taz were super supportive and we went out there and thought had one of our better broadcasts, hugged them both afterwards and, and that was that, you know, it was just an interesting time. I just, it was just, it was hard because I really felt like, okay, I made it. And I really felt when I first started there at Impact that this was going to be my career for 10 plus years. And uh, it was tough to have it come to an end, you know, but during that time is when they started taking Impact on the, on the road and these big venues and the cost of moving that production around and maybe making that leap a little bit too soon, you know, away from that, kind of safety net comfort zone of the impact zone where things are a little bit more controlled. And, you know, and we had some great crowds. I remember after, um, after lockdown where it was revealed that Bully Ray was the leader of aces and eights and he beat Jeff Hardy for the title in the cage. Uh, that next, I think we were in Chicago next. And that, I mean, it was big crowd, rowdy crowd, just great, you know, great energy. And, you know, Bully Ray came out, people throwing trash and stuff. I mean, it felt like the NWO, you know. And um, it was a good time. I just think maybe it, it, you know, became clear that they weren't ready to sustain that 
being on the road. And I think I was one of the, you know, I was trying to negotiate uh, more of a long-term contract at the time and we're going back and forth. And I think I was just kind of a, a victim of those initial cuts in which tons of talent ended up getting cut. But, you know, I was among the first to go. Is that one of those things where you really think that, not that you should have stayed, but like almost where it's like, okay, you know, the new guy here, you can't, you know, you're going in a different direction, maybe keep me and let's get a contract going. Or you don't even think about things like that. I mean, it's hard, you know, I, I could, I could overanalyze it to death. I think I should have stayed. I, you know, I felt like I was doing a good job. I, I felt mm-hmm. like, um, I felt like I did a good job of steering the ship on commentary and, and putting the emphasis on what was going on in the ring and, felt that I worked well with Tanae and Taz and and um so yeah I mean it definitely definitely caught me off guard and and uh after I did get released fan support was great and a lot of people were voicing their frustration with that move and and in fact um this kind of interesting story I don't think I've really ever told anybody this but uh I remember it was that night like back at the hotel um I ran into AJ Styles and he, he was like, oh man, he goes, I hate it. I hate it when this company makes bad decisions. And he said, I've been here, you know, since the beginning, I've seen good decisions, bad decisions. And AJ, this AJ Styles, you know, he's like, this is a very bad decision. And, and then I remember he told me, this never came to fruition. I wish it had. But he told me, I, he's like, I hope you go to WWE and shove it up Impact's ass. And, hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then in kind of a cool story that ties back to United, AJ, uh, in the 2015, I think, Red Carpet Rumble had left Impact by then. And, again, no ill will to Impact because they gave me so many great opportunities. I enjoyed my time there. I wish I had stayed on, you know, it, certainly different management now, but like, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not bitter. I have no ill will. I'm thankful for everything I got to do there. But that being said, you know, that was pretty funny from AJ. And then red carpet rumble, he had left. He was the IWGP champion at the time. And he was on our championship wrestling from Hollywood card, defending the IWGP title against Trent Beretta. And for whatever reason, think he got there a little later in the day or whatever we didn't we didn't run into each other in the back before before the show started so the first time I saw him that day was when he came through the curtain and I'm sure this will be one of the Heritage Hall matches coming up but so he comes through the curtain and he gets in the ring holds up the title and they're about to do championship ring introductions and he happens to look over and he sees the you know the announce table there and sees me and right when, like, you know, again, IWGP championship announcements are, like, beginning, he rolls out of the ring, comes up to the, to the table, shakes my hand, and he's like, it's great to see you, man, and then rolls back in, introducing first. And it was, like, <laughs> such, a, such a classy move and just so cool on his part. He's, he's the real deal, man. He's such an amazing talent. Uh, phenomenal is, is to be sure. Uh, but he's so super humble, super classy, super nice, and uh, that you know that meant a lot to me too. Very, very cool. And of course, you know AJ, huge star, still is today, was then, 
but that's just an awesome story of the, what kind of a great guy he is, too, besides being such a great wrestler and such a great star. Absolutely. He really is. He's awesome. So kind of going back to a little bit of, of uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood, or really United Wrestling Network, there's also the work rate show as well. I wanted to kind of touch on that, too, because um, there's so much different things that you guys are kind of putting out there. I know David Marquez is kind of have his own show coming out, but what is work rate all about? Work rate's going to just kind of tell the history, um, and it's an interesting history. There's, I know the, the first one was basically Dave saying hello, uh, but one just uh, the second one dropped today where it kind of shows a little bit of the history of the company and really shows a lot of they dug down and found some clips and really eye-opening clips, again, of some of the talent that's come through there over the years. Uh, but it's going to just be kind of the history from – those early tapings at Columbia Square uh, Studios where Dave partnered, he partnered with Big Vision Entertainment because they had worked together on Wrestling Society X. So they were going to launch championship wrestling from Hollywood together. It was originally supposed to be on KTLA Channel 5 out here in L.A. For whatever reason, that never happened. And then uh, eventually the show would relaunch on KDOC where it still airs. Um, so it's going to be just kind of telling the story. Uh, and then, you know, years later, 2010, 2011, because uh, originally you know, it was NWA championship wrestling from Hollywood. So the 10 pounds of gold was on the show. Uh, Adam Pierce was a champion for a long time during those years. Had a great feud with Colt Cabana. Cabana won the title in March, 2011 on our programs. One of the favorite matches I ever called. Excalibur was on color for that. And uh, just calling an NWA World's Heavyweight title title change was another, definitely another career highlight. But they, those two, Pierce and Cabana, would go on to have their seven layers of hate feud, you know, with different stipulations for each match. Yeah, highly, pub- yep. yeah, highly publicized across different promotions. And it was then that Bruce Tharp, who was president of the NWA at the time, kind of pulled the, the plug on. Dave's ability to promote the brand and the title in the middle of all this. So then the seven layer uh, levels of hate ends in Australia in a cage match. It was unsanctioned. Cabana wins. Pierce hands him the title. Cabana just leaves the title in the middle of the ring and both of them walk away from the NWA and championship wrestling from Hollywood walks away as well because there was pending lawsuits and all kinds of stuff. And so that's kind of when United Wrestling Network was really born because Dave was going to work with promotions and kind of do his own um, sanctioning body and territory system. The idea idea to eventually crown a world champion, which we still haven't done. The title is ready to go. Um, That's another funny story is every time Dave's ready to like do a tournament or has people in mind for the championship, people have gotten signed. So I get Nakamura at one point, was maybe going to be United World Champion. He got signed. There's been other other guys that he had in mind that all, even Peter Avalon. He's like, oh, I'll just put on Peter, and Peter gets signed to AEW. Um, so you know that's still pending that we'll crown a world champion. But then it became, um, you know, championship wrestling from Hollywood, Arizona, the regional broadcasts. You know, Memphis, Amarillo, Texas, uh, Northern California, Bay Area, all have regional versions of the Hollywood broadcast are kind of all under the umbrella of the United Wrestling Network. 
and uh, you know, with more promotions maybe to come. I know there's uh, talk of Memphis getting its own, you know, standalone that would be Championship Wrestling from Memphis. They've talked about Silver State Wrestling in Las Vegas. So I mean, the plan is to continue to grow United to include more promotions. But work rate, anyway, to get back to your original question, is going to basically just be kind of telling that story of you know, the early days with the NWA to the fallout to then being used to kind of help bring it, put the NWA back on the map. You know, I mean, they used Hollywood for their first promos with Tim Storm coming out with the title. The first Nick Aldis-Tim Storm match was on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. They, you know, used our programming and venue and resources to film their early matches before ultimately, you know, going off on their own. But the partnership's still very much there as, you know, a lot of our talent, you know, like Zicky Dice, the television, NWA television champion, the eye of Dave Lagana and, um, and uh, Corgan, you know, from watching our show. And now he's the television champion. So, Yeah, a little bit of a tie-in for sure. Zicky, obviously, David Marquez, uh, Eli Drake. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, a.k.a. Sean Ricker. I mean, there's a lot of but, guys uh, that there's no doubt about it uh, or kind of championship wrestling uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood guys. Oh, for sure. And Royce Isaacs was our, you know, yeah. heritage champion yep. and TV yep. champion went on to become a tag team champion in the NWA. So there's, you know, solid, solid crossover continues. And you mentioned United wrestling network and they do deal with some other regional promotions. What other regional promotions, not only do they have, but are they looking to add more? They are. Yeah, they are. And, you know, they they did have ties with CZW for a time, and I'm not sure exactly what, you know, happened with that. But CZW was very much in the picture with United for a time, Um, you know. But for now, um, you know, Hollywood, Arizona, eventually Memphis, Silver State, and Vegas, trying to do something in Texas as well. And, uh, you know, just continue to, to grow from there. It is pretty cool, uh, kind of that old school NWA feeling to it as well. You know, you're just spreading it around, you're getting all those regional territories together. But like you said, trying to create that world champion, get UWN really kind of the real focus and on the map. Will the NWA be a part of United Wrestling at all, or is there going to be any sort of like, is you know, I know you said there's kind of like a relationship there, but is there possibly going to be any sort of like TV? recognition yeah you know that i'm i'm not certain um you know again just the cross promotion has been has been solid i mean if you think of the fact that united and nwa co-promoted what ended up being the first um pro wrestling broadcast from people's republic of china to air in north america when they had all this versus cabana for the title and it was um uh, Reno Scum taking on uh, Watts and Alex Chamberlain for the United Tag Team titles, and uh, Heather Monroe against Barbie Hayden, and and stuff. So that that was a you know ended up being a pretty historic event in terms of it was the first time the NWA title had been defended in China. It was the first you know like I mentioned broadcast pro wrestling broadcast from China and in the U.S. Um, you know. And then not that long ago, uh, you know, the, the North American title, the, the World's Heavyweight title, 
and the NWA World Women's title have all been defended on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Uh, Nick Aldis defended the world's title in Arizona, too, against Peter Avalon. So, you know, NWA talent still uh, performs on United uh, Television, puts their titles on our television, and then, you know, vice versa in terms of talent. But I don't know more than that kind of what the plan is in moving forward and working together in terms of TV and stuff. But I know that United played a big part in kind of giving that platform, TV platform the NWA needed when they first started to relaunch. Now, as we hit the wind down and and kind of head towards the finish, and as we were kind of talking about United Wrestling, where do you kind of see United Wrestling a few years from now? Like if you're like looking through – through a you know a telescope or whatever you want to say, looking looking into the future, what do you see United wrestling maybe you know a couple of years from now? Uh, I just hope it continues to grow. I hope we finally crown a world champion. I hope our champions and our talent get to the experience of you know kind of that territory system of you're going to have great local regional talent in each of the United promotions, but then uh, the Heritage Champion Watts is coming to town and he's going to face. You know, uh, Memphis is big guy, you know, hot, big talent that is mowing through people at the time. And you get the cross promoting and and talent has, you know, the experience of going on the road and hopefully more international events. And and hopefully, um, again, using its tape library to grab some attention and continuing to grow. And I think, you know, the whole plan of this, uh, kind of resurgence in terms of social media activity and everything else is to get the eyeballs on the product that it really deserves because it is it is a great product. It's had great talent come through. It has great talent currently on the roster and just getting it to the level that it needs. And it's been done over the years on a on a shoestring budget. And so maybe hopefully finding a way to get some money pumped into it and just continue to expand. Yeah, it feels like there's so much kind of out there, but then, like you said, with like the tape library, there's so much that people haven't seen and that people should be interested in. And, you know, like names like Daniel Bryan, a.k.a. Brian Danielson, or AJ Styles will pop up, and, uh, you know, that'll get people's attention. So it definitely seems like something that United Wrestling has a niche. You know what I mean? They, they definitely can have that, that audience and captivate uh, some fans or maybe even get some lapsed fans back into it. Yeah, and I think, too, there's something to be said for just the regional promotions having their own talent and their own identity and really growing the regional promotions and their fan base and their local television and then the crossover with the more national product that would be, you know, the Hollywood show. Um, You know, the the wrestling world is it's a big pie, and there's definitely enough slices to go around where, United could get, you know, a decent little piece of the action that keeps the, keeps pushing itself forward. You think it's hard nowadays with so many companies like AEW signing guys to contracts? Do you think that it's harder to get talent right now in wrestling? Is this one of the harder times to get it? Or do you think that it's just kind of talent will always be there? Well, I mean, uh, talent, talent will always be coming up, whether it will always be there. That. It's something that Hollywood has had to deal with. That's why it's good to have something like a relationship we have with the NWA and even AEW to some respect, because Brandon Cutler has been, you know, was a United talent. Um, 
Cody's been on Hollywood. Peter Avalon still, you know, produces Arizona and does things and wrestles from time to time for us. So it's good to work with good promotions that, you know, give a little wiggle room and give respect to the places that people came from. You know, I'm certain that, you know, Zicky Dice continues to perform on championship wrestling from Hollywood. I'm certain that Royce Isaacs would be given the green light to return. So when you're working with companies like that, that you have that, you know, give and take where, um, you know, they're a little more generous and they don't just lock up the talent and you never see them again, then I think it's doable. Um, where guys aren't just getting signed and, and they're gone and, you're, and your roster is getting raided. You know, when we're working with promotions like AEW and, um, and NWA and even Impact, because Impact used Ocean View Pavilion, our venue to film Impact, used some of our guys. And, um, you know, I think just finding ways to work together is important. I feel like that is kind of going to be key for wrestling too, like for everybody to kind of work together and really kind of band together because I feel like if there's so many guys signed – then you can't put all those guys on TV, but they have to work. And you know what I mean? Like, you, and you can't kind of just have everyone on TV, the same guys all the time. It does kind of have to go back a little bit to that territory system where you're kind of cycling in guys in and out like they did old school. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that was, I, I think even an idea at one time was to work with WWE with that. And basically talent could be under a developmental, but, travel and work shows for United because now you get a snapshot of what the talent's like. Are they making their travel? Are they showing up? Are they on time? How do, are they, you know, a mess on the road? Are they out there getting, you know, wasted and, and being a problem or, you know, are they professionals and doing well? Like those are things that you're not going to see unless people are actually out there doing it on the road. And I think with our model, it would have given it that opportunity um, to see that, you know, like, I know NXT does a lot of regional house shows and stuff too, where where their young talent, you know, get uh, to prove that they're they're ready for that type of stuff. But I'm talking years ago, this was something that was discussed. As far as you yourself, uh, where do you see yourself, maybe in five years or something down the road? I mean, you you said you want United Wrestling to kind of succeed and then you know grow and prosper. But what about you yourself? Does WWE still kind of haunt you? Do you still want to go there? Is that still a dream? Is it still a goal? Like, where do you see yourself? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't haunt me in the way that it that it once did. You know, if that if that if that opportunity came along and it and it made sense and it was right, of course I'd love to check that box. You know, um, but two, you know, I I've got tons of friends that you know are in in. Uh, AEW, you know, I enjoy what they're doing. It seems like it'd be a really fun environment to work. I wouldn't ever count out an opportunity to return to Impact. Um, and but I'm, you know, I'm also happy having the home back in United. And United's always opened that door whenever it was time for me to come back. And so, you know, obviously, I would love for it to um, move forward and be, you know, viable place for for performers to make a living too down the line. But I'm keeping my options open and in MMA too, who knows, you know, UFC, Bellator, really confident in what I do as a broadcaster. I'm really happy with my work. I'm happy with all the opportunities I've had over the years. You know, they came with hard work and, um, you know, I'm definitely not 
not done yet. Looking back, do you have any kind of favorite wrestlers that you've been able to call any favorite matches that stick out? I know you're a big Hulkamaniac, but anything that like sticks out as far as like, wow, you know, uh, maybe even the Slammiversary said, but anything that kind of stick out as, as some favorites of actual commentary and actually calling the matches? Um, yeah, you know, definitely like I've mentioned, I think I mentioned before, the Pearson Cabana for the yes, NWA yes. World's Heavyweight title, I think, you know, was kind of the, the high mark in terms of Hollywood and stuff that I called. I loved calling the, the rivalry with Sky and, and um, Willie Mack. Sky also had a best-of-seven series in Hollywood with Austin Aries. It was phenomenal. I loved calling that. Um, obviously, like I mentioned, calling Hogan and Flair was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, in Impact, um, let's see. I called a – I think it was Genesis maybe. I called a championship three-way with um, – it was uh, Bobby Roode and – uh, Jeff Hardy and Austin Aries. It was just a great match. Um, you know, calling the the um, the lockdown cage with Hardy and Bully Ray, where Bully Ray was, you know, revealed as the president, and just I mean, people throwing garbage and stuff. That was a cool kind of moment to be part mm-hmm. of. Yep. Um, and again, yeah. Then I think uh, just having a chance to call uh, Slamversary, just a kind of double header of AJ Styles and Kurt Angle and Sting and Bully Ray just to call a Sting match, you know, I never thought I'd have an opportunity to do that. So definitely have had great career highlights along the way. I was a druid for the undertaker at WrestleMania 21. That was pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> you know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I man. didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, I've gotten, it's just been, that's the thing, man. I always tell myself, like talk about like the WWE thing haunting me. Um, I, if you look at the things that I've gotten to do, in my career, if you went back and you told that, you know, seven, eight year old kid uh, that was just so stoked to, to go to the LA sports arena and see Hogan and big John stud in the main event. If you were to go back in time and tell the young me, all the things I'd get to do over the years, I'd be the happiest person on earth. And so, you know, I have to sometimes I think just take a step back and really appreciate, you know, the things that I have accomplished and have gotten to do and hope to still check off some more goals moving forward. But, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, definitely happy to have, to have had, you know, the great time in, in the business that I've had. Got to ask, how did you become a Druid for the undertaker? How does that happen? Well, it was at the time that I was kind of in, in talks with them and, and, you know, getting looked at. So I had an opportunity to go in as a extra. It was WrestleMania 21. So it was Taker, Randy Orton. And um, it was a funny story because we're getting ready to go, you know, or maybe a match or two away. One of the other Druids, this local wrestler, this guy, Funky Billy Kim, he's like, man, I got to take a piss. And I was like, oh, so do I. So we're in our cloaks and the whole bit, and we have to go through catering to get to the nearest restroom. And he's a little bit ahead of me. So we're kind of in a hurry to get back. And I, so I push open the door really fast because I'm, you know, in a hurry, moving fast. And the door gets about halfway open and just slams with a thud on something. I turn around the corner. There's Batista sitting there. He was, like, springing himself down in the mirror. And he looked at me like he just wanted to kill me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You know, he wrestled Triple H that night for the World Heavyweight title where he won the title. Huge mm-hmm. match for him. Yep. We get back to kind of our, our go position. 
And funky Billy Kim was like, oh, dude, I feel so bad. I hit Batista with the door. And then it dawned on me that I was the second druid in the span of 30 seconds <laughs> to hit Batista with the bathroom door. So no wonder he was pissed off. Oh, yeah, he hated you uh, guys. Oh, yeah. Now, it's for a good time. Well, we went out there. We had the torches. Undertaker didn't lose a streak at that point. You know, and everything was good. Yes. I was going to say, as far as uh, being a druid and, and kind of getting that experience, is that something where you it's, you think they put you in that role, it's going to lead to something, or you think they just need you for the night and, like, that's it? Yeah. No, they, you know, they need people in that role. But it was it was a great – it was a great thrill because I was also, a you know, a, a really big Undertaker fan, part of an Undertaker WrestleMania entrance. And that particular entrance, we went down with the torches – all the way to the ringside and surrounded the ring with the torches. You know, it wasn't a case where we were just on the ramp and he walked through us like a tunnel. We went walked all the way down, surrounded the ring. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a pretty, another pretty cool thing to be part of. And I was actually two times through it because after Mark Henry had taken out the undertaker, the Druids uh, wandered into death Valley, which was you know, the Palm desert out here. And uh, we resurrected the undertaker from, from his desert grave. So I got to be in a, a druid for that as well, which was about 11 and a half hours out in the desert in a black cloak. <laughs> oh, wow. That's uh cool, but yet, you know, obviously exhausting and uh, <laughs> a little painful. Hey man, it's, it's all part of the, it's all part of the gig when you're a druid, you know, anything for the dead man. That's, That's why cool. I was so disappointed. That's why I was so disappointed. I don't know who these druids are that attack the undertaker and the, in the boneyard match, but you know they weren't union man. They weren't real druids because I would never yeah. do such a thing. Yeah, they're not a part. <laughs> they're not a part of the team. Yeah, who are those guys? That's awesome though. Never, uh, never knew that or never even thought about. Oh, you know, playing the druids or are they? And it's a pretty awesome story that you were not only able to become a druid once but twice. That's right. Awesome stuff. Well, please give us one last plug for United Wrestling Network. I will. Uh, just keep your eye on United social media and on YouTube. Again, just great matches. I'm, I'm sure that AJ Styles Trent Beretta match will be coming up. I think the Pearson Cabana match that I've talked about a lot will be on Heritage Hall. Uh, some really cool interviews tomorrow night. Uh, David Marquez is going to debut a segment called The Marquez Mentality. He's going to do a, an interview segment every Tuesday night, 7 Pacific. That'll be on our social media and YouTube as well. And this first one's going to be past and present broadcast talent. So I think Joe Galley of the NWA is going to be on that. I'm going to be on it. John Plasto, um, Kathy Campanelli, who was uh, Alyssa Marino in NXT. So uh, Stu Stone is a great commentator and, and manager on Hollywood. Uh, we're going to have a discussion tomorrow. So that'll be That'll be a lot of fun, and I know the wheels are turning and plans are being made to return to uh, filming live events, you know, probably without a crowd at first, but at least we'll have fresh content. I know that that could happen, sounds like, um, as early as, you know, later, later this month. So we're getting close to, to uh, coming back, and there'll soon be time to fight on once again. Absolutely love it. Now, as far as you, can you give us some plugs for yourself, uh, social media, where everyone can find Todd Kennelly? Yeah, sure. You know, just on, on uh, Twitter, just at Todd Kennelly, T-O-D-D-K-E-N-E-L-E-Y. 
You know, it's kind of uh, primary on Instagram. It's uh, at T Kennelly. And I've got a Facebook as well. And I try and, you know, try and stay pretty active and put some good stuff out there. And we'll definitely be, um, you know, retweeting all this tons of United stuff that's going out. Um, but, yeah, you know, if anybody wants to go on there and give me some feedback or, or tell me what you think of all this new stuff, I'd love to hear some feedback. Awesome stuff. Well, Todd, thank you so much uh, for giving us all the time tonight. And good luck with the United Wrestling Network. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.